Hello, I'm Angelina. And I'm Martin. And this is the CX Cast. Welcome back to the CX Cast. We're here today with Rusty Warner, VP Principal Analyst from Forrester. Hey, Rusty. Hey, Martin. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. So don't be fooled by Rusty's accent. I made this joke at the at CX Mayor. Rusty might sound American, but he's an honorary Englishman because he lived here, what, 27 years in Win- near Windsor, I think? Yeah, it's getting close to 30 years. So I, I feel certainly more European than American. Yeah. So we're, uh, we're assimilating Rusty into the, the British culture. He likes tea. Now, Rusty was a keynote speaker at our CX Mayor conference a few weeks ago. He closed out the forum and the forum really talked about how you really empathize with customers to understand their needs, how you design, collaborate to design solutions to meet those needs. And then Rusty picked us up at the end and talked about how you actually measure the value, the business value of those solutions. So you're picking the right things, you're solving the right customer problems. Because it's no good saying, hey, there's a customer problem, let's go solve it. If it costs you too much money to support it, if it's not profitable, if it's not good for your business, your shareholders, et cetera. So... I mean, where do we start with that, Rusty? There's loads of different tools for measuring return on investment and all sorts of different things. What's your take on this topic? Well, I think that the most important metric that marketers and CX people can embrace is customer lifetime value. And the reason I say that is our own research shows that over half of CX decision makers can't prove the ROI of their CX programs. And that's a big problem because we predict that during the economic downturn in 2023, as many as 20% of organizations will simply dissolve their CX teams if they can't prove business value. And we similarly know that within marketing, marketing budgets are usually one of the first areas that firms will cut back when they're having financial concerns. Cutting CX and marketing, especially when things are difficult, is a mistake. And that's because marketing and CX are so critical to a sustainable customer-obsessed growth engine. And the reason I think CLV is critical in that context is that it's an extremely powerful and robust financial approach that will enable CX and marketing teams to demonstrate how their work directly contributes to the long-term value of an organization. And in some cases, the very survival of a CX or a marketing program may come down to being able to show measurable results. And CLV is a good way to do that. Even on a fundamental level, the idea that CX and marketing can agree on a metric is a great start. So right there, we have a business metric they can both focus on because sometimes CX and marketing are different. Sometimes marketing has a foray into CX and is wondering, what does this mean for metrics? So it seems obvious then, if it's something we can all agree is powerful and meaningful, why aren't organizations using CLV? Yeah, as I mentioned, CLV is a robust financial methodology. And so as you might expect, a CLV calculation can be extremely complex. CLV models are typically the domain of data science experts or financial modeling people. And so partially because of that complexity, relatively few organizations are able to use CLV effectively. Uh, In fact, according to our state of voice of the customer and CX measurement practices, only 17% of organizations currently focus on CLV. 
And if we look at marketing, that number is only 21%, according to our global B2C marketing survey. Now, in addition to that complexity, CLV requires a lot of cross-functional collaboration. It factors in revenue, but it also looks at retention and acquisition costs and customer servicing costs. So that's in addition to all the financial planning parameters that would address the time associated with the payback period or discount rates that calculate the future value of money. Uh, in other words, I guess what I'm saying is it's not something that most CX or marketing people can do on their own. They really need to collaborate with other teams, especially the CFO's team and the data science team so that they can manage some of that complexity. And that just makes it really difficult for some people to approach. So you say 17% of firms are using CLV. So you could kind of argue on one hand, well, maybe it's a rubbish metric. Maybe they've all tried it and they've gone, no, no, that's not for us. But I think what you found in the research was actually the opposite of that. And I've always been an advocate of CLV as a, as a kind of very like, thoughtful, forward-looking metric. But what is it that's blocking people? What are the misconceptions that you experienced? Well, I think the biggest misunderstanding that people have about CLV is that word lifetime that appears right there in its name. Uh, it's logical to assume that CLV refers to a person's entire lifetime or at least their total customer life cycle with a brand. But counter to that thinking, time in a CLV model rarely spans more than three to five years. It, it might go longer in some sectors like insurance or healthcare, but usually firms will look at a more limited, measurable time frame. And that's because CLV looks at a payback period for an investment, usually associated with the decision-making process of the business. And because CLV is forward-looking, it discounts future benefits due to the rate of inflation. And if you carry that out for too many years, it would simply have a deteriorating impact on your longer term calculations. And that's not the only issue. I think people get confused when they think about revenue and CLV. When I talk to marketing people and certainly marketing technology vendors, they define a field in a customer profile that they call CLV, but it really only reflects cumulative orders or historical revenue. And that's not what CLV, if it's a true CLV calculation, is designed to do. CLV predicts future profit contributions. So revenue in a CLV model is an estimate of expected revenue, not your past revenue, because CLV is that forward-looking approach to things. And as I mentioned earlier, CLV is not just about revenue. You have to factor in that revenue with a retention rate as well as your costs so that you're forecasting profitability, not having a backward looking view of your revenue. So lifetime and revenue, I think, are the two aspects of CLV that get people a little bit confused as to what they're measuring. So I mentioned earlier, I, I thought it was really fascinating that we had a common metric for marketing and CX. But how exactly does that work? How, how would they line up within CLV parameters? Well, there's a multitude of CX and marketing metrics, as you know. And, and as you said in your question, uh, it would be amazing if we could get people aligned on a single metric like CLV because they have so many metrics that govern different aspects of what they do. What they also have to wrap their heads around is none of those multitude of metrics that they're currently using will likely plug directly into a CLV calculation. 
they'll need to take those metrics and apply some estimates and assumptions. So there are four main CLV parameters where they can map or align those CX and marketing metrics. And those are revenue and survival rate or retention, where you want the numbers to get bigger, and acquisition or servicing costs where lower numbers are better. And if we start with increasing revenue, I mentioned already that historical revenue can help predict future revenue streams, but it's not the number that you want to plug into your CLV model. What you want to do is look at your orders or conversions or your propensity from a marketing perspective, and you can use that to estimate future revenue by then building on a historical revenue uh, kind of number. And if you're on the CX side, there are many CX metrics that look at successful customer outcomes or completed journeys from the customer perspective. And those can give you additional insights that would let you fine tune any revenue predictions that you want to build into the model. Survival rate confuses people, I think, because they want to refer to it as retention. And retention metrics or churn metrics and repeat purchases can help determine how likely a customer will remain loyal to the business. But you have to think about those specifically within the time frame of your CLV model. So it's not retention in general, it's survival, which means retention over the time period that we're measuring. And similarly, there are CX metrics like customer satisfaction or a net promoter score, or maybe you look at advocacy, and those can help you figure out how engaged and committed a customer is to the brand. If you can incorporate those marketing CX metrics into that CLV concept of survival, it'll give you some good insights into which customers are most likely to continue doing business with you over that period of time that CLV is measuring. That's great because a lot of organizations are trying to figure out who to focus on. We can't be everything to every customer. We need one persona to focus on. This seems like a good start to create focus for improving journeys, whose journey we're improving, whose time we're investing in, whose touch points we could improve. Absolutely. And that's where you can actually turn a CLV metric into an operational model where it helps guide you into where to focus and on which customers to focus and where your activities are bearing fruit in terms of encouraging customers to maintain their business with the brand and be customers that the brand wishes to retain. And as I said, those revenue metrics and those survival or retention metrics that you plug into the model, those are the numbers that you want to go up. You want to increase those. Higher is definitely better. But then on the flip side, you have your acquisition costs and your servicing costs. And understanding costs associated with servicing customers is really hard for marketing and CX people because you have to look at every customer touch point. And many of those touch points are outside of the marketing or CX domain. They might belong to sales or customer support or people that are responsible for various operations in the business. So you have to look at your own cost metrics and then combine them with everything from across the organization so that you get a more holistic view of customer costs. 
One of the interesting things that can come out of that is marketing and CX people can look at how they think they are acquiring great customers and providing you know, great value to the business. But if down the road, those people end up costing money because of the cost to service them, then maybe that's not so good for the business. So getting together with those other people on the operational side can give you a more holistic picture. It's kind of the same with the acquisition costs. Marketing usually has a pretty good view of what it's spending on advertising and marketing campaigns, but we need to factor in things from the customer experience side. Anything to do with onboarding steps or the time that is required or the friction uh, or on the positive side, the ease of the customer becoming a customer and doing business with the brand and initiating that relationship can all have cost implications. And then if we get it right, if we are able to acquire customers who become devotees that are loyal to the brand, who are our advocates, then they can help us reduce customer acquisition costs because all of those positive ratings and reviews and referrals that those people provide to the brand will bring down our overall acquisition costs where we're not having to work so hard on the marketing and advertising side to convince people to come join us. To make that tangible as much as we can on a podcast, you ran some numbers on this, didn't you? You've been building a, well, we've got a CLV model and you've been adding to it. You ran the devotee numbers through it. Can you just share a little bit about what you found when you plugged in those kind of high value customers in terms of what the increasing their attention and reducing cost to serve looks like? Sure. Well, Forrester's customer insights team has developed a customer lifetime value calculator. So I plugged in some numbers just to get a baseline of what a CLV might look like for a business. And then I factored in some increases to revenue and retention rate based on what our research tells us about devotees. So I was conservative. Um, if we look at our devotees research, we know that those people can contribute 50 to 100% more revenue than an average customer. I only factored in a 25% increase. I also factored in a 25% increase on retention or the fact that those people would remain our customers. And then on the cost side, I only factored in a 10% decrease in the customer acquisition cost or the customer servicing cost. But if I put all of that together, what I found is you can expect another 150 to 160% profit contribution from your devoted customers uh, above and beyond what you would see from average customers. And if you start to look at a number that is you know, two and a half to nearly three times the profit that you will see with devoted customers compared to the average customer in your, in your customer base, I think it then becomes a lot easier to have a conversation with your CFO and CEO about the investments that you're making and how they're bearing fruit. Early advice I got was make friends with your CFO. And to be honest, early on, I had no idea what I was supposed to do with that relationship. So now a clear task, talk about CLV with your CFO, or at least someone, someone on the finance team to get started. What else can marketing and CX teams do to elevate CLV? Well, certainly that friendship or relationship with the CFO or key people on the CFO's team is, is going to be critical. And in addition to that friendship, you will need to nurture some collaborative relationships with the people on your customer insights or your data science team. And if you do that, it not only helps you build the model, but it 
brings credibility and support to a CLV calculation. As I said at the beginning, this is a robust financial methodology. And if you start to do it on your own, then you're going to have to show your work and explain it to the CFO and the data science team. So it's far better to have those people involved from the beginning of the process, helping you establish a model, help you make realistic assumptions, make sure that your calculations are sound, and then that model has credibility and you can take it to the rest of the organization. It also has a fringe benefit, this collaborative relationship with the CFO and the data science team. We firmly believe that marketing and CX own customer obsession for a brand, and it's up to them to be the agents of change in the organization to bring that customer-obsessed message to the rest of the business. And when you're collaborating with your CFO and your data science team, and they're seeing right there in the data right there in the financial figures that what you're doing is having benefit for the business. They'll become your advocates and your evangelists for customer obsession, and you'll have people on your side. So is this a metric for all businesses, all industries? Because the way you were talking about it makes me think potentially cost to serve takes me to contact center, to bank branches, to a kind of service-oriented business model rather than maybe a transactional business model like retail. So does this work across many different industries or do you see it being kind of some industries leaning into it more than others? Well, I think CLV applies to any business, but what you have to keep in mind is that there is no one size fits all answer. There is no one model that works for every type of business. And in fact, in our CLV calculator, we let you choose from four different models based on the type of business you have. So if you're a bank or an insurance company where you've got a long-term relationship with a customer that involves a relatively small number of products, there's a model for you. If you are more transaction-oriented where you're in retail or travel and hospitality, then there's a different model for you. If you operate more on a subscription basis, uh, like in the telco space or in the media and entertainment space, there's a different model for you. So there isn't one model for everybody, but I think CLV does apply regardless of how you operate as a business. So what was the quote you used at the conference about simplification? It was Eleanor Roosevelt. Oh, yes. Uh, Eleanor Roosevelt said that to support uh, rational living, a little bit of simplification goes a long way. That certainly applies to a CLV approach where, sure, the calculation itself is going to be complex. You want your financial experts and your data science team to build that model, but then you can dissect it into its various parameters and map your metrics across in a way that greatly simplifies it so that the whole organization can understand what you're doing. So I think this is an incredibly powerful tool that not enough organizations are taking advantage of. So a bit of, a bit of simplification goes a long way. So hopefully Rusty has helped you think about how to simplify this. So thank you, Rusty. Thank you. Pleasure to have had the conversation. And thank you to producers Ellie and Julia, without whom none of this would happen. If you want to get in touch, email us at cxcast at And as always, you can find us at forrester.com or on your favorite podcast platform. So don't forget to like, subscribe, and tune in next time for more CX Insights.